Hello again everybody, this is uh, Jason Powers. So today um, we're going to review Anthony Fauci's emails which were partially released via FOIA request. So far over 6,000 pages were dumped to the public for consumption. We'll read a few of them and tie them off to Abby V, a spinoff of Abbott Labs. Joe Biden ignored the 77th anniversary of the D-Day operation that liberated Europe within a year. One, re one will reflect on his lack of patriotism while remembering the courage and valor in comparison to the present-day malaise reflected in New York Times' Mar Gay's analysis. And welcome back. Um, it's been a while. I, I had planned to do this podcast on uh, Sunday, um, the, on the day of uh, D-Day's Remembrance, but um, Fauci's emails kept me busy and occupied, and I was uh, doing, uh, doing my diligence to try to uh, pull together the strings that I found on, on a particular angle that I've been working on since last summer um, regarding Surgisphere and various other actors and players that were obvious to someone who paid attention to who was controlling what. Uh, we'll get into that in a bit. First, I want to play uh, a clip from uh, War Room's Pandemic. They were uh, they op they did a cold open with uh, this uh, clip from uh, MSNBC. They had Mara Gay on, who was uh, describing how she thinks uh, what is she pe uh, she parses her words, but. Um, I'll let you just listen to it and you can go from there. I think this is another area where Democrats really need to get serious about talking about what this threat is. Uh, I think you said it really well, Joe, a minute ago, where you talked about uh, the need to stop being surprised by all of this uh, and start taking it seriously. You know, it, it's really concerning to me that the Democrats haven't just gone ahead at this point and said we're doing this on our own in terms of uh, getting a commission together uh, to explain to the American people how we allowed the insurrection to take place in the Capitol. I think that really needs to move forward swiftly. Um, you know, the reality is here, 
that uh, we have a large percentage of the American population, I don't know how big it is, but we have tens of millions of Trump voters who uh, continue to believe that their rights as citizens are under threat by simple virtue of having to share the democracy with others. Um, I think uh, as long as they see Americanness as the same as one with whiteness, this is going to continue. We have to figure out how to get every American a place at the table in this democracy, but how to separate Americanness, America, from whiteness. Until we can confront that and talk about that, this is really going to continue. I was on Long Island this weekend uh, visiting a really dear friend, and I was really disturbed. I saw you know, dozens and dozens of pickup trucks with uh, you know, uh, explicatives against Joe Biden uh, on the back of them, yep. uh, Trump yep. flags, and some cases just dozens of American flags, which you know uh, is also just disturbing because essentially the message was clear. It was, this is my country. This is not your yep. country. I own this. And so until we're ready to have that conversation, this is going to continue. What really is concerning to me as well is it's, it's not just Democrats in Congress. I think there's a large percentage of Americans, even some of my colleagues uh, in journalism, who are invested in some way in pretending that this isn't the threat that it is. That is the real concern. Because, you know, the Trump voters who are not going to get on board with democracy, they're a minority. You can marginalize them long term. But if we don't take the threat seriously, then I think we're all in really bad shape. So, um, as you can see, their their talking point is democracy. This is a republic also. This is a republic of states. There's 50 states. There's Puerto Rico. There's the Guam. The Ver you know, various U.S. Uh, territories that go along with that. Some of them don't get complete representation. Uh, Puerto Rico, for example. That being said, we do support them. And I support anybody who claims to be a United States citizen. What she fails to uh, illuminate in her conversation with herself uh, in that piece or that, that uh, description is that she thinks that uh, this ownership idea is a bad idea. That's what she's really mad about. Um, yeah, these people do feel a, a certain amount of ownership. We feel ownership for our families, our lives our land, our jobs, uh, where we go go to uh, have recreation. She isn't the only person. See, this is a compromise. This is a compact that we signed on to, the U.S. Constitution, by the way. And we know that we are being, we're being abused. Uh, our freedoms were abused in 2020. We realize that, they're, we realize that our enemy lies in D.C., it lies in the media. It lies in the U.S. agencies who are who are be, uh, who are taking it upon themselves to uh, push a far left agenda to take away freedoms, freedom of speech. Companies that don't no longer uphold that or say, "I'm a private, I'm a private business. I can do what I want," only as long as they hold the hold the right uh, political viewpoints. I noticed when there was a bakery that decided that they didn't want to make a, a cake. Um, this is the difference, though. They were willing to sell a cake to a gay couple. 
They just weren't willing to put the gay messaging on the cake. Uh, by the way, uh, that's an artistic expression. Forcing someone to uh, provide you a service of artistic expression that you don't agree with is not in, within your right. Just like it, it, it seems to be that that uh, uh, if someone decides that uh, your memes are unsat, they can delete them. I have a I have a feeling if I was going to come with a negotiation of uh, you're going to act as a publisher online as a platform, for example. We're just taking free speech, for example. I didn't mean to segue, but it's a good segue because we're talking about rights. If we're going to look at it from the standpoint of uh, if you're going to censor someone's speech or uh, do what you're going to do, here's the negotiate. Here's the negotiation point. You can remain on the platform. We want to delete your account, uh, and, and if uh, if Google or uh, say or YouTube or Twitter wants to uh, say that your video is unacceptable and take it down, maybe that is well within their rights. I'll, I'll, I'll concede that, but they can't take away all your rights. They have to allow you to remain on the platform. They can't close your account. They can't close your all your video library or all your other prior tweets like they did with Donald Trump even though those are archived. What I'm saying is they can't take your complete they can't take away your voice. They can take away they can they can uh, decide to be a publisher and act as a publisher which is what they're acting as because they're saying that we don't we don't condo, we don't condone your speech. And by the same token they should allow you on the platform. And if you're within their acceptability guidelines then they they allow you to do it. That being said, they only have one particular. They only do it for one side or one political argument, which shows their lack of lack of uh, a shows their lack of uh, uh, Americanism. It shows a globalistic objective, which is to allow people around the globe to do whatever they want, but to censor Americans. They're no longer an American corporation. The reason why America is so important to a person, some some uh, someone like this particular woman who sits on the New York Times editorial board, excuse me, is that without freedom, you have nowhere to go to. There is no other country that is, is upholding freedom. And we've already, we're, we're already severely compromised in those regards. Trying to become like China is, in a word, stupid. In another word, it's just evil. To think that China's really free, they just there was an example of a guy who a blogger who because he spoke out about an incident involving the Indians and the Chinese in a, a conflict where uh, the number of uh, people who wind up dying and this was last summer, the blogger was sentenced to eight months in prison for for reporting on it. How would you like that, uh, Miss Reporter? If we put you in jail for something you said in the United States that. Didn't condone, uh, didn't conform with the the Washington D.C. platitudes that are pumped out or the propaganda. See, all these people are propagandists. I mean, all you got to look at is who who they who they work for or who they worked for. Like Nicole Wallace or George Stephanopoulos, they worked in communications for the White House. You know, and they're here. They are. They're on TV pumping out the same left-wing talking points or in case of Nicole Wallace she's just a bush shill bush shill but bushes is bush and obama and clinton have coalesced as a a unified 
agency super super uh, uh, super party of extra extra what would you say um, external uh, POTUS power. They're using the agencies to to uh, to control the United States of America because they have their implants, their DC operatives who are loyal and beholden to them, and they operate through them. That's why Trump can, couldn't get, get what he needed to get accomplished. This idea that Trump is the issue? No. Trump was an American success story, and they know that. He was. Before 2015, they weren't besmirching him. CNN would have him on TV. MSNBC would have him on TV. He was on NBC for God knows how long, 10 years at least. He had a number, I think he was a fourth-rated show in like 2005. On the entire, all the networks, he was the fourth-rated show overall by Nielsen, if I'm not mistaken, because I looked at the Nielsen ratings for one reason or another. What I'm saying is, is um, the this idea that uh, some that that Trump is the issue or Trump supporters are the issue. The only reason why they supported Trump is because he had a, a idea about what America had fallen behind on. I'm sorry, I know where she's coming from. She's coming from the hard left. She's coming from the Obama uh, socialist uh, socialism decline that she uh, she wants. She wants this country to burn to the ground. She doesn't care. She's in media. She's a she's a she's a, as long as she carries the as long as she's a toady and carries the company policy line, she'll never be it. She'll never suffer. She she complains about going and visiting a friend and seeing American flags and patriotism. It's 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 so tiresome to hear these women whine about who they think they are and what's being uh, being held back from them. There was another psychologist who went off on a rant or whatever about how she wants to uh, take out white people. I'm really starting to find out how how racist. Some of these women are. They're just absolutely abhorrently racist. They don't even care. And here's the funny thing. There's plenty of there's plenty of white people out here that, yeah, hold those kind of prejudices and racism in their hearts. Yes, they do exist. I'm not gonna deny that. No one should. That just means that they're just shitty people. There's plenty of shitty people in all professions, in all walks of life, young and young and old. The younger ones, unfortunately, are just too stupid and never learn. The older ones are just too set in their ways and won't change. But this is called this is called a country. There's 330 plus million people in this country. There's going to be all kinds of different viewpoints. One viewpoint that we all should have is you should want this country to stay together. You should want to support and defend the Constitution and the rights within. Because when you lose your due process rights, when you lose your freedom of speech... When you lose the freedom to defend yourself against all incoming attackers, thinking that taking away people's guns is the only thing that left wants to do, they're so they're so hung up on that. You know why? Because they want to. They once they take all the guns from everybody, they're going to come out and they're going to slaughter everybody. Because these people are just downright despicably evil. I I'm not projecting that on them. I know that's a reality. Once you're defenseless, what are they going to do? They're going to they're going to say, "Aha! I got you." That's exactly what they're going to do. They're liars. They're cheats. They steal. They stole an election. They refuse to think that. They think that we're too stupid to realize that Joe Biden is not the most popular president ever in the United States of America. He just isn't. 
It doesn't matter what their polling says because the polling is all bullshit. And the fact that they poll the uh, over oversample the Democrats and undersample the Republicans and probably only sample the independents they can get you home. And oh, by the way, if this is uh, calling somebody at home, most Republicans don't even respond um, because a lot of them don't trust to answer questions to uh, particular pollsters. So their polling sampling is in, in error. So we know it's all bullshit. And of course the Democrats, the people that have been sold this propaganda for the last five years plus, actually probably since uh, ever since Obama took office, but in particular since the Trump administration or the Trump uh, Trump candidacy was started, uh, they've ginned up the propaganda to hate him at every turn. And you know who's behind a lot of that? Hillary Clinton, the David, uh, what's his face, um, the guy, the guy that she had working for from Media Matters. I can't think of his name. I know what he looks like. Uh, anyway, it doesn't really matter. I, the point I'm going off on a rant here was that I, I this lack of patriotism is just abhorrent. So we're going to move on to the next topic. Well, well D-Day was a, obviously the most important single fight of that war. And, of course, had we lost it, there's no telling what the outcome would have been. Since the American entry into the war, American generals had been agitating for an opportunity to fight the Germans directly. The D-Day invasion, invasion of Normandy, in June 1944, represented the cutting edge of this offensive. The essential condition that underwrote the success of D-Day was the fact that Germany had been bled virtually to death by fighting on the Eastern Front uh, for several years against the Red Army and the Soviet Union before D-Day ever happened. The Germans had been preparing for this invasion as long as the Americans and the British had been. And they had been digging in. And they knew that they could inflict appalling casualties on the first units ashore. Well, somebody had to do it. And so the soldiers went, and indeed, those first units did suffer very high rates of death and wounding. So there was a sample from the History Channel regarding D-Day. And it's quite interesting because uh, Joe Biden evidently didn't uh, didn't even acknowledge D-Day. You know, I know it's a only I know it was the 77th uh, um, year since uh, the landing. And I know many people don't have a long history or don't have a long they don't understand it and then there was a post online they were talking about the, the Antifa and all this other kind of stuff in in the current, uh, our current uh, group of anti-fascists, uh, the people who call themselves the Antifa, are nothing but fascist. They want to control everything. They want to censor everything. And they've been, been bootlicking uh, corporate America's uh, heels for the last, I don't know, five, six years. The people who think, here's the, here's the way you can tell who the true enemies of this, uh, who true enemies are. The people with the most money who are using and exploiting the uh, the the most dupable, youngest, and suckerable people are the pro- are the bad guys. Why? Because they're just using those people as useful idiots. They don't care about them at all. Now they those they'll decry us and decry people who who uh, love freedom and want uh, want to see this country succeed to be more locally involved. 
we don't need to be an international interest. I, I honestly, I'm probably more of an isolationist than probably even most people would even uh, think is necessary. But I think I'm a very much an isolationist in so far as I think we should do go back to what Monroe, the Monroe Doctrine was, which was uh, uh, spheres of influence that we should stay in the Western Hemisphere. Uh, predominantly from Canada down to Chile and Argentina and whatnot, and we should make this this hemisphere, this part of the Western Hemisphere, um, very, very much a, uh, a unified uh, a collection of uh, trade partners, uh, mutual supporters of each other, and try to lift the bonds of of uh, socialism down in in the the Central America and South America and we should do definitely do it in Canada. It's reprehensible what's gone going on around us. How socialism has just taken root as it's an infection. This idea that you think the government is going to solve your problems has been so tired and so worn out. And the one thing, the most evil thing that has ever happened is that we had three presidents in a row who turned us over to China and they decided, I mean, when I between Clinton, Bush, and Obama and their agencies all went with this globalist objective, this one world order that they've got cooked up in their brains to think that they're going to, they think they, they're not going to raise all ship. They're trying to, they're trying to destroy this country and they're going to do it because they're going to say, oh, well, we just had too much. The reason why we have too much, do you really want to know why? Is because these people in this country work hard. They work their asses off. There's a there's a certain amount of ingenuity and innovation that was that that has gone on and on and on. Yeah, it's declined in the last ten to fifteen years due to the due to the reprehensible actions of our our leadership, who keep on trying to turn us into uh, turn us turn this into the nanny state and spy on everybody and turn everybody against each other and keep on ginning up racism for the last ten years. It's so despicable to me. You know, these people don't have the foggiest notion about any of this stuff that they, they, they spew out. I mean, I grew up in the 1970s and early 1980s in Tennessee. I've seen the uh, evolution of this country. Because when I moved from there to northwest Indiana, you know who was the, uh, when I moved to northwest Indiana, you know of the two groups, you know the people that were the most racist? Northwest Indiana, Chicagoland, of the two groups. I don't, and people say, well, you couldn't know, know that back in 1970. You were just a young kid. I know what I know. And I live, and I have a very good memory about a lot of things. Very good memory. Ask anyone who knows me. I can remember things about them that they don't think I would remember, and I do to this day. You don't forget things. You don't forget feelings. You don't forget all your feelings, how you felt about things. I used to ride, I, I, I was there when our busing uh, situation changed in the late 1970s. I was, you know, second, third grade. I remember uh, hopping on the lap of a, of a high school uh, a girl who was uh, black and not having a problem with it. We used to go, we used to coalesce as people. There were greater things afoot than just what, the, what these uh, Marxists like to push on everybody. Uh, they they think uh, and and I'm only going off on a rant here because I am so tired of the the constant the constant ginning up by our media this constant pure propaganda to try to destroy this country to get us into a race war to engage in this kind of oh it's okay to beat the heck out of white people 
that's what they're really that's what they're really saying. They enjoy watching it too. It's so it's just so despicable. They think they're just trying to get a reaction out of people, and you know they'll probably they'll probably succeed in it. You gin something up enough, you show it. You you continue to go down this path that you want this war. Media wants war. They want they want something to write about. Write about. They want somebody to beat down on. These journalists are just so putrid. They have no scruples, no morals, no principles. They're just garnering a paycheck and and toadies to the company line that they work for, whether it be the WAPO or the New York Times or MSNBC or ABC or whatever, or CB. They just read a teleprompter or they write up their little stories and they, they smear the heck out of whoever it is that they want. They've used Trump as the, the, the reason why they hate Trump so much or show Trump is, hey, they want to tear him down because he was an American success story. Now, I know there's Democrats out there that say, oh, he was a bankrupt guy and this and that. And, oh, the Central Park thing and all this. You know, they they throw up all this garbage. It's so old. It's so tiresome. It's like, God almighty, move the fuck on. You are so retarded. You won't even fo- you can't even focus on you won't even focus on anything that's even relevant to the to, to today's world at all. That's that's what really bugs the shit out of me with these people. They dwell on the past. They live in the past. You know why? They do everything they everything they were taught not to do. They'll do just the opposite just to spite you. Just to spite this country. Live in the past. Okay. Can you fix the past? Oh yeah, we can. We can get reparations. You think it's you think it's you think it's morally right to go and steal from somebody and say, "Well, because your ancestors were, you know, doing something wrong back in 1860, you by God ought to pay for it." How the hell does that work? They weren't alive in 1860 and neither were you. You don't deserve something from somebody solely based upon that. That's the South African model that they've been trying to push an agenda on. This is why I've come to really, really despise people like Barack Obama. He gets on TV and he talks about Trump. He is such a poisonous rattlesnake. And you know what's sad? Is I voted for him in 2008. I can say that. I didn't really have much of a choice. John McCain is an asshole too. He was a he was a despicable, warmongering fool. <laughs> so it's a, a, a false choice either direction, which means that you always should have a third party candidate. Um, unfortunately, the corporatists don't want a third party cabinet. cabinet uh, ca- uh, they don't want a third party candidate, so they don't have they have to buy somebody else off. Because corporate America wants to buy off people. Well, it is no longer corporate America; it's corporate China. I'm going to coin a new moniker today. It's corporate China. So that's who you're up against. Now, let's get to the money shot of all of, uh, of this. I will save the best for last, I guess. So emails. Fauci gate took, took cold. And what I came to realize, or at least what I think I came to realize, is uh, Mr. Fauci was... Uh, and I, I started researching him last summer. So I'm, I got a little lead up to this. But I wrote a... I wrote a a paper here regarding his dealings, and I have the evidence embedded in it. I've linked it in the description. Um, it's titled, How to Make a Killing Off a Vax- Vaccine, quote-unquote, while appearing impartial. And uh, we'll, we'll just go with this. Assume, gain of function and lab leak. Once you know it's out, what do you do? 
hypothesis. This health system works off money, but Fauci, ETR, control outcomes through journals, FDA, NIH, and WHO. They decide who wins. So journals and MDs. Sergis Fears, Dr. Desai, and Brightham's Mandeep Madra wrote the journal articles to kill hydroxychloroquine, assisted by Dr. Lindsay Baden. Baden also works at Brighton Women's with Dr. Mandeep Madra, a cardiologist and director at Brighton. Dr. Baden is additionally a New York, a New England Journal of Medicine deputy editor who could get, uh, get such shoddy papers into the New England Journal of Medicine. Dr. Baden works with NIH's Collins and Fauci. Biden knows Tony well enough that they did an interview together on January 27, 2021 and corresponded back in February of 2020. Dr. Biden, through the New England Journal of Medicine, wrote a nasty editorial regarding the Trump administration response on October 8th titled, Dying in a, Le- a Leadership Vacuum. Dying in a Leadership Vacuum. This article praises China while throwing Trump under the bus. This article is refuted starting on page 218 of my book. Uh, I included a link there. So from Dr. Lindsay Biden sent February uh, sent Saturday, February 8th, 12:51 p.m. to Dr. Uh, to Anthony Fauci. Subject invite. Tony, as I as I am sure you're aware, we recently uh, web released the attached paper providing some initial estimates of the key transmission param- parameters associated with uh, the COVID-19 virus. It will soon be coming out in print issue, and we would like to do uh, like an editorial to go with it. Might you be willing or interested in authoring such a piece? Our editorials are typically about 800 words with up to 10 references. As soon as you provide it, we will we will us. We will web release it and then link it with the attached article in an upcoming print issue. Are you interested? Please confirm. No potential uh, conflicts of interest. Thanks. Thank you for considering. Lindsay Biden. Emails redacted. Fauci and Collins worked with Hu Tedros, Chief Science Officer, Sumya uh, Swaminathan, to make sure Abby V's drug, Lopinavir, was included in the WHO Solidarity Trials that started on March 18th. The next day, Angus Liu wrote for Fierce Pharma, AbbVie's HIV, HIV drug, Coletra, stumbles in the COVID-19 trial, but one al- an analyst begs to differ. The article cited a New England Journal of Medicine article that is funded by the Chinese Academy of Sciences, and also cited a New England Journal of Medicine editorial about the Chinese trial using lopinavir, that began on January 18, 2020, in Wuhan. This just four days after the WHO said no human-to-human transition existed, and one week after, January 11th, SARS-CoV-2 was sequenced. WHO was saying one thing, doing another, and not testing hydroxychloroquine initially. So from Dr. Francis Collins on Monday, March 16th at 8.43 a.m., Thomas Hudson, who works for Abbey V., CC Hillary Marston Anthony Fauci subject external confidential and urgent requests regarding Tom thanks again for reaching out I can only imagine and then it's all blocked out redacted the best contacts would be who chief scientist Swami Nathan and potentially director general general Tedros let me know if you hit a roadblock with the who I might then want to weigh into Francis he wrote it so, anyway, 
Abby V, uh, I'm going to go. So that article by Abby V, Calentra, Stubbles, and the COVID Dry was uh, published March 19th. 2020 at 10:59 a.m. That editorial cited Dr. Lindsay Baden and was published on March 19th initially. In a separate editorial that ran alongside the study, infectious disease specialist Lindsay Baden and director of clinical research at Brighton Women's Hospital and New England Journal of Medicine editor in chief Eric Rudin also looked for silver linings. Though they can call the results disappointing, Baden and Rubin, uh, Rubin pointed to a fact that the team chose a challenging population to study because the patients recruited were already in the already late in the disease course and already had major tissue damage. Even high, uh, even highly active antibacterial agents have limited efficacy in advanced bacterial pneumonia. They wrote. The New England Journal of America, uh, Medicine editorial published March 18th provided these views. Unfortunately, the trial results were disappointing. No benefit was observed in the primary endpoint of time to clinical improvement. Both groups required a median of 16 days, but the results for certain secondary endpoints are intriguing. A slightly lower number of, de- lower number of deaths was seen in lopinavir ritonavir group, Although this observation is difficult to interpret given the small numbers and the fact that the standard care group appears to have been sicker at baseline. Removing deaths in lopinavir group that occurred after randomization but before the first dose of the drug was given would provide uh, provide a much more encouraging result. But such a change is debatable since no, no such removal occurred in the control group. On the other hand, the trial was an open label one. And since the endpoints were being evaluated or influenced by clinicians who were aware of the treatment assignment, they were susceptible to potential bias. So he's hijacking the results of the the study that was just concluded. Why isn't lopinavir, uh, lopinavir more effective? Two major factors may be at play. First, the authors chose a particularly challenging population. The patients recruited for the study were late in infection and already considerable, had considerable tissue damage, as evidenced by the compromised lung function and 25% mortality in the control group. Even highly active antibacterial agents have limited efficacy in advanced bacterial uh, pneumonia. Second, lopinavir simply isn't particularly potent against SARS-CoV-2. The concentration necessary to inhibit viral replication is relatively high as compared with the serum levels found in patients treated with lopinavir. Yet here, surely the discussion had by Fauci, Baden, Midra, Hu, Surgisphere, was to re-enroll lopinavir in the Hu Solidarity trial while hydroxychloroquine would be hijacked. And Baden even noted how, quote-unquote, late-stage application mattered. Surgisphere was active on LinkedIn starting March 18th as Courtney Hertz, who hid their, hid their affiliation later, posted frequently, frequently during that time. Later, Surgisphere website disappeared. Dr. Desai was being thrice sued by late 2019. Their last LinkedIn activity was on March 25th with an article titled COVID-19, Why Real-Time Data is Critical. This article written by Courtney Hertz pitches a tracking tool called COVID Triage Decision Support. On March 20th, Courtney posted another article writing, writing in it, 
Primarily, the community needs to band together in its commitment to isolation and social distancing wherever possible. Not only is it critical to follow the directions of the CDC, World Health Organization, and local government officials, but to take further precautions to ensure that this virus is contained as possible while scientists and researchers work on potential solutions. They also posted, COVID is spreading fast, and the New York Times reported that at this rate, the U.S. alone could see 2.2 million deaths. Surgisphere has created decision support tools to help physicians make accurate real-time decisions during this critical time. Courtney was busy two days prior on March 18th. The snippet above shows that the Ferguson model was envisioned as a business opportunity for Surgisphere. Prior to this flurry, no post activity was seen on LinkedIn for Surgisphere. Studies retracted. Meanwhile, Brighton's Women's College Hospital uh, College Hospital got a five million dollar grant in March 2020 from Gates. Get that five million dollars. That was the third largest one ever. Who, who's chief? Who chief science officer Swami Nathan covered for Surgisphere in an NPR interview? NPR is no, notably funded by Bill Gates as well. Two million dollars in June 2016. Hypothesize. But that March 2025 million dollar grant was a way to fund Biden and Midra, and even Desai, who took on the most risk. Dr. Biden wrote a May 2021 Moderna paper. His conflicts are in the disclosures. See below. Dr. Biden is a deputy editor. He's also involved in HIV, COVID-19 vaccine clinical trials conducted in collaboration with the NIH, HIV Vaccine Trials Network, covid COVID Vaccine Prevention Network, International AIDS Vaccine Initiative, the Crusell Janssen, Moderna, Military HIV Research Program, Gates Foundation, and the Rangone Institute. Dr. Biden is the chair of the Antimicrobial Drug Advisory Committee and the FDA. Biden's key conflicts and tools, Moderna, HIV, Gates, FDA, and the New England Journal of Medicine. Thus, Brighton's March 2020 grant came about for a reason. The result needed for Moderna's expedited approval, but landed one year prior to the study's actual release. Sample size in the study was 13 patients. So this is the May uh, 2021 study that was just released. So the abstract says SARS-CoV-2 proteins were measured in a longitudinal plasma samples collected from 13 participants who received two doses of mRNA uh, vaccine. Eleven of the thirteen participants showed detectable levels of SARS-CoV-2 protein as early as day one after the first vaccine ingestion, injection. Clearance of, dete- clearance of detectable SARS-CoV-2 protein correlated with production of IG, um, IgG and IgA. So that just to give you an idea what that that study was. Uh, so they, they tested thirteen people. Not exactly a ringing. Uh, Endorsement. Why only 13? I mean, if you're going to do a study, why could you only get 13 participants? Why wouldn't you have gotten, you know, at least 50, I would think. I mean, that's at least a reasonable sample size. Uh, Dr. Biden ETL wrote positively about remdesivir from one lone cherry-picked study trial. More tellingly, Brighton's Women's Hospital launched two remdesivir trials on March 26, 2020. Dr. Biden published that. Uh, Dr. Biden published that in uh, that editorial related to 
remdesivir in close concert with the critical one of Trump's administration on September 30th. And, quote, emergency use authorization uh, EUA allowed the FDA to approve the use of uh, emerging potential therapy when there is a reason to believe that the new therapy is likely to be safe and that it might work. Although the EUA that was issued for remdesivir required fewer data, fewer data than the standard FDA approval, it relied on results from at least one high-quality randomized placebo-controlled controlled trial. So they used one, one study to ostensibly uh, approve this. And since he sits at the FDA and he's wor- working as an editor, I mean, it's pretty obvious. Fauci pushed that as well through the NIAD. Gates likely funded that, that Gilead study through a Henry M. Jackson Foundation grant in June 2020, this time a back payment, back end payment, one month after Gilead pre-published the trial in late, 20, late May 2020. The grant notes COVID-19 in pregnancy in Western Kenya. The grant, though, changed its location of whom it was designated for, reflected in my book, Amazon, page 128. The content of this publication does not necessarily reflect the views or policies of the Department of Health and Human Services, the Uniform Services Universities of Health Sciences, the Henry M. Jackson Foundation for Advancement of Military Medicine, and the Departments of Army, Navy, and Air Force, the Department of Defense, yada yada. Gilead Sciences provided remdesivir for the use in this trial, but did not provide any financial support. Employees of Gilead scientists participated in discussions about protocol development in the, week, in the weekly protocol team calls. The Nas- National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases ultimately, ultimately made all the decisions regarding the trial design and implementation. So this is, this is the, the study that Gilead put together, and that was done in May. And that was preliminarily, uh, preliminarily God, I can't even spit it out, uh, released in May. And then later, it was final publication was in October or September 30th, I guess is the. But it wound up in the New England Journal of Medicine on October 8th. Don't mind me. Got somebody outside. Let that wait for a second. So, who drug trials? ABV attempted to gain a, a foothold with their HIV drug, Lepinavir. Two different representatives, Tadish Hudson, approached Fauci and Francis Collins on January 30th and March 16th. They got an audience the second time. Gilead, as well as uh, 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 Gilead as well, who has numerous FDA board seats, were hard at this objective too. They got eight board seats of the 55, so they have a substantial um, uh, foothold on the FDA in terms of pushing their products and agenda. Dr. Biden has an FDA seat on the Antimicrobial Advisory Board. The WHO paused a study on hydroxychloroquine in their solidarity trials. The WHO, the U.S.-U.K. recovery trials, quadruple-dosed their patients in late stages of COVID-19. The key objective here, kill off hydroxychloroquine, even as the Chinese, South Koreans, French, who later had their Gilead issues, were actively promoting hydroxychloroquine as a therapeutic in March 2020. The FDA nixed hydroxychloroquine as an alternative in June 2020 as the American Association of Physicians and Surgeons sued the FDA. 
Fauci was equally quick to throw H, uh, hydroxychloroquine under the bus. The scientific data is really quite evident now about the lack of e efficacy. Actually, the compendium of, of studies located here, which is like, uh, there's like 260 trials that have been done, reflect more of what Dr. Harvey Risch of Yale noted early, early on. Fauci, Collins, The Who, the FDA, New England Journal of Medicine, along with Bill Gates, funded and media uh, funding and media tours killed hundreds of thousands of people with de these delays and tactics. Selecting expensive drugs, designing studies to undermine hydroxychloroquine with in vitro evidence of hydroxy working going back to 2003 with SARS-CoV-1 shows a certain mindset that you don't encourage. Yet, it appears this is your new medical paradigm. Many doctors took highly critical notice and were promptly silenced by social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, owned by Microsoft no less, for speaking out. Isn't it telling who stood to gain and who was reaching out to the NIH, Collins and Fauci in particular? So, we'll go to that. There's a couple money angles here. The one is... So Francis Collins sent a message to, on February 26th to Michael Milken of Junk Bond fame. You guys might remember him if you've read uh, Den of Thieves by uh, James B. Stewart, who won a Pulitzer Prize for his reporting on Michael Milken and Ivan Bosky and a few others in that, in that regard tied to uh, mid-'80s Wall Street. So Michael, Michael Milken has reformed himself. He has the Milken Institute, but he's also still in... Involved in making money. Uh, he walked away with a lot of money in 1990. So this has been about 30 years. So his name has been off the radar for quite a long time. But here he did. Here's Francis Collins. Hi Mike. Thank you for your call on Monday evening. I've reached out to Tony Fauci. And he's interested in speaking with you about how your, how your connections with philanthropy, philanthropy and industry might help as well. As we face a major challenge challenge for coronavirus, I'm CCing Tony on this email, and his cell phone is and it's blocked out. Giving him your coordinates, best best Francis. See, there's another email where he he he's talking about uh, he ta uh, Francis Collins talks to Tony, not Tony Fauci, but uh, um, uh, talks about Michael Milken, I think to Tony Fauci. He talks about well, you know, we've done some work with him before, and yeah, he has a history, but he has a lot of connections, and basically, it's Michael Milken is getting front door service uh, during a crisis. Now, this was February 26, so they already knew what they were trying to do. This is this is prior to the panic alert that they were pushing, but February 26 was about uh, it's probably about the same time that uh, Nancy Pelosi was in Chinatown with. Uh, uh, with her constituents and was walking around and saying, oh, it's okay, mingle, coalesce, you know, go all around and stuff like that. Saying one thing and doing another. The hypocrisy is just so profound. And, and we're not talking about a little uh, uh, hypocrisy. It's the same hypocrites that complained about Trump's, uh, um, a matter of fact, what's his face? Um, there was a, I'm getting off on, on a tangent here, but, uh, Oh, what's his name? The Washington Post guy who uh, you know broke uh, Watergate. I, uh, Bob Wood, Bob Woodward, who wrote a book about Trump and and, and uh, tried to lambast him over his uh, uh, his response to the coronavirus and 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 downplaying its uh, uh, 
downplaying, downplaying its impact on our population. No, he was doing what most leaders do do. They try not to panic people. He didn't say it didn't exist. He didn't say it didn't have any impact, couldn't have any impact. He didn't know what he didn't know. He's a politician at this point or a businessman. He's not a viral virologist. He's not a health expert. And these people aren't. These people may consider themselves health experts and they might know anything, but it, they've turned into nothing but bureaucrats who are just looking to hustle everybody. So they're no bad. They're actually worse than Trump. You know why they're worse than Trump? Because they've been there for years. Tony Fauci started at the NIH or uh, in uh, the government field in 1969. He was there at the. <laughs> he was there during the Hong Kong flu, for fuck's sake. And he he made he's been at the NIH since 1984. He's been there so damn long, and he has so much power and control. He's the highest paid government. He's the highest paid government employee. Don't you think that, you know, warrants a little bit of interest? And it isn't even. I mean, it isn't even about that. He makes more money outside of government than he does inside of government. It's just the fact that he has this power base, and he uses it and exploits it against the rest of our, our rest of us. So when people complain about, you know, Trumpism and all this other shit, they need to look at themselves in the mirror. But of course they're not going to because most of these people are sociopathic. I mean they, they have no they have no scruples, they have no moral base, and they can complain about Trump's narcissism or lack thereof. I, they may they may pretend to think they understand Trump very well. He's a showman, he's a he's a marketer, he's an advertiser. He's a bigger he 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 he's a billionaire, and he's resented by all the other billionaires who want to run this country literally into the ground in many cases. So I don't I'm not going to take more lectures from them. Anyway, the thing here is that Michael Milken started. Uh, I, I'll go back to my uh, writing. Michael Milken is smart, but his interest in all the COVID nineteen trials has shown in these Google Docs. He has a Google Doc that's up, and it's a enormous spreadsheet. Uh, has every vaccine trial, every treatment. Uh, it's not him, obviously. It's his assistant. But nevertheless, he hired someone or has somebody who who is putting all this information together for him. So I mean, and you say, well, whatever. I mean, that's that's his right to have somebody do all that. But it's it's a money play. It always is. No one's doing this just for. They're not doing this for for shits and giggles. They're doing it because they want something out of it. Um, I don't know what that exact money play is, so I'm not going to uh, completely indict him on that, uh, his connections to this particular email thread. But I'm just saying he's not in the market for just no reason. He, his philanthropy is a, a guy, well, a well, well-honed guys, people who run to philanthropy after they've been convicted of something, or run to God and wrap themselves in swaddling clothes and don't. Don't can't project themselves as actually being a real person tells you something about them. They have to remake themselves. That's what Bill Gates did after his. Believe me, he looked like if you go back to Bill Gates's uh, 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 his uh, quote unquote uh, depositions and subpoenas from the the antitrust days of the nineties, ni- late nineteen nineties, like nineteen ninety seven, nineteen ninety eight, whenever he was deposed. Uh, look at his body language. Look at his responses. Look at how cagey he is. Look at how, how. Uh, look at the. Look at the. Just look at the the disdain in his eyes for being asked questions. He comes off looking like a sociopath. 
and then he rebranded himself as oh I'm I'm Mr. Philanthropy guy. I mean he started something in 1994, but he was if you go back and look from 1994 to 1999, he wasn't really doing anything. But in 1999 he started Gavi, he started uh, started all these big uh, vaccine things. He went right down. He knew why because he knew vaccinations is a, a good little money hustle. Plus it also has the potentiality to be used against people, which is what he's uh, determined. I think he's spurred on by pure revenge. That's just Gates. This has nothing to do with milking. But what I'm using is the correlate. These these people are highly, highly sociopathic. They don't have a lot of care. or well, They don't care for people. They just use their money to buy influence and to get people to believe in it. And many people believe whatever they're told when they're given enough money to believe that. If I pay you $400,000 a year, many... I'd say about 95% of us will go right along with whatever our boss tells us as long as he keeps on paying us. We'll go through the motions. We'll we'll try to do good, maybe, in our own way. But we'll always be hijacked by our boss. And our boss will say, well, I have a different approach to things. And you'll start to question, but, but then the, you, you fall in love with the money. You fall in love with the lifestyle. And then they got you because they know nobody wants to go backwards. They're going to they're gonna use your... They're using avarice and greed against people to get them to do what they want. So, anyway, he started. A, he's got a half billion dollar company called Silver Rock Financial LP. Milken's name came up in the Fauci emails, as the snippet above shows. But isn't it highly unusual that the only employee listed on LinkedIn tied to Surgisphere happens to be a guy that wrote wrote for Desai? Uh, Desai was a book publisher in 2008 at Duke and also a Milken Educator Awards profiled so this guy and that guy Thomas Cohensberger is dead since 2018 so I find it interesting that the only thing the only employee that was listed for Surgisphere just happened to be somebody that Michael Milken has uh, uh, his institute is uh, uh, the Milken Educator Awards at, the, at his uh, is tied to them it's just an oddity. It's just highly unusual because we're talking about a company that was uh, fairly high, you know, fairly uh, off the grid, and suddenly popped on the grid, and in his day, and, and was uh, basically guilty of manipulating all kinds of data, and refused to release the data to the to the general uh, the public. So their studies got retracted. Surgisphere's CEO also just happens to co-author with Yan Ma of the Milken Institute, a chapter for JAMA. So, Yan Ma was a guy that they did. They just did a um, you know a chapter uh, for a publication, uh, the Journal of American Medicine. Uh, so I don't know if it's I don't know if there's really any connection there. It just so happens the Milken Institute is just a stone's throw from the White House. And it happens also that uh, Milken is tied to the tre- the former Treasury Secretary uh, Stephen Munichin. Uh, I can't even, uh, you know what I, I, I you know who I'm talking about. He had some interaction with Milken, uh, but it also ignores the fact that Dr. Francis Collins thinks highly of Michael Milken, and he he does. I mean, if you go read the Fauci emails, uh, the email that uh, Collins writes. Uh, doesn't throw him under the bus it's called oh he's had some trouble in the past but we can use him so they're using a guy who's a convicted felon to help them out with whatever you know fundraising and protocol and 
and of course we know there was a lot of that going on so I haven't dug into Michael Milken that far I just think that there's a there's some kind of connection when you have a convicted felon and a serial data manipulator and Dr. Desai of Surgisphere it doesn't make any you know these two people had to have, you know there's a little there's a very small connection there but they're they are part and parcel to two halves of a coin so you know, if there was an FBI out there that actually wanted to do half the investigations that they do on the Trump people, uh, they'd be they'd be hard after it with this guy, um, uh, Desai, and even and it shouldn't be no problem. They should have a they should they have the agents, they have the interview powers, they have all the powers for the government that generally to investigate whether something. And of course, they've already got the redacted emails. They already know what was redacted off the Fauci emails. You know, I hate to the the crime here is is that they were trying to money hustle, which is what the final piece is, and this is short. So Moderna was the ultimate uh, big winner, helping uh, Robert Langer of MIT, Moderna's co-founder, Gates connected. Might uh, they were involved with microchips, aka Dara Bioscience stakeholder. He uh, Mike, uh, Gates is still a stakeholder in this. Uh, this uh, spinoff of uh, Langer, and Langer was the FDA chairman in 1999 through 2002, but now he's a billionaire off of the mRNA vaccine, according to Forbes. This from a company that never brought a product to market until 2020. It also appears that they had an inside track. Gates gave Moderna $20 million in investment capital in 2016 and 2019. Moderna's vaccine was prepped by February 7th from that sequence obtained on January 11th. CEPI, Gates founded and funded, was a key to Moderna's funding the, uh, the funding the mRNA-12 uh, you know, vaccine, according to the SEC. So this is actually an SEC article, so I'll read directly from it. So uh, SEC, so security, so Moderna announces first participant dosed in NIH phase one study of mRNA vaccine. 63, 63 days from sequence selection to phase one study dosing. So this was published on March 16th at 12.42 Eastern Daylight Time. <laughs> so it was published the very day uh, that, uh, you know, I guess you could say things started to get crazy and locked down. And this was published from Cambridge, Mass. Um, so let's see if I can read the... So this was the phase, phase one study. Uh, Let's see here. What's the big part of this? Uh, to phase two. Okay, here's the here's the money shot. On January 11th, the Chinese authorities shared the genetic sequence of the novel coronavirus. So we're trusting that the, the we trusted the Chinese to give us the sequencing, which is quite inter- entertaining. We assume this is everything they, that needed to be shared, and why would we expect it to be? Pro- now, granted, somebody by now should have. Uh, replicated their information and and we should be all on board with this and I, I, I realize that I'm not in this business or field so I have no no uh, no way to clarify or quantify I could if I took a course in it and learned about all this stuff I'm sure it isn't as hard as it's made out to be but we're talking about a lot of different things so anyway on January 13th the V the VRC and Moderna's infectious disease research team finalized the sequence for the uh, uh, for the SARS-CoV-2 vaccine, and Moderna mobilized towards clinical manufacture. The first clinical batch was completed on February seventh. 
and underwent analytical testing. It was shipped on February 24th from Moderna and delivered to the NIH for the company's manufacturing facility in 42 days from sequence selection. So they were they were hot on this from the get-go. I don't know. It just seems a little too hot. But uh, the next part of this that I probably should read, I'm going to look here. i got to go down here about Moderna. So, yeah. So, headquartered in Cambridge, Mass., Moderna currently has strategic alliances for development programs with AstraZeneca and Merck, and was as well as the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, an agency of the U.S. Department of Defense, the Biomedi- uh, Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority, BARDA, a division of the Office of the Assistant Secretary for Preparedness within the United States Department of Health and Human Services, and the Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness and Innovations, CEPI. So, there you go. And, of course, the only reason why they can get away with so much of this is because uh, because of uh, Robert Langer's uh, uh, connection to it. It's just quite entertaining that uh, we've gone through all this and um, we're dealing with this on a regular basis. That... uh, that we have so many people that are that are uh, quote unquote uh, guiding this directive, and if this mRNA vaccine happens to uh, generate the results that some are afraid of, it's a gene therapy. They think they're going to have to have reboost, and this is then that becomes the money hustle. They're going to say, "Well, we can't give it away free anymore." Yada yada yada. See, there's always going to be a money. There's always a money angle with everything, and the fact that these people uh, sabotaged a uh, a drug that you can get for ten bucks, you know, and with zinc and azithromycin, and there are other ones like ivermectin and stuff like that. There are other there's other uh, potentialities out there that could solve this problem. So we're going to end this uh, broadcast. I've gone a little longer than I expected, uh, but I think it's. Uh, I think it was important to uh, flesh out uh, those two angles. Um, I guess going forward, <clears throat> I hope that uh, each of us can uh, put this in perspective um, as more and more of the stuff comes to light about Fauci, the gain of function funding, which is you know another part of this too. They funded it through Peter Daszak. So we're talking about controlling an entire supply chain, like literally from controlling from one end to the next as far as NIH. Uh, and then, of course, China was just the mechanism and a and a good a good mechanism, I guess, from their standpoint to explode this onto the, the world stage and then basically take over, you know, using global health, the global security state to take over uh, ostensibly the world control because they want surveillance they want you to concede to, concede, to give up all your rights and freedoms uh, to take shots and those people out there that are calling this conspiracy are full of it it isn't a conspiracy it's actually a very much a reality it's pretty obvious that the, the objective here has nothing to do with actually improving health it has to do with control, and I've resisted all of that. I'm not an I'm not an expert on these fields, but there's many, many, many doctors that I've seen.
talk about this, and they're not they're not too happy with what's going on. They're seeing they they're seeing the larger picture because some of them are actually use their common sense. Meanwhile, there's these public officials and public health administrators who have uh, decided to uh, that this is their time to bask in the glory. Well, that's it for today. Thank you very much for listening. God bless the United States of America, and God save the world.